So just today we are going to have a comprehensive study of the life of Devarshi Narada based on the stories, the episodes that has been enunciated in Srimad Bhagavatam. So before uh, we start, just as an introduction, this Narada's life reminds us of the life of Swami Adhutananda endearingly known as Latu Maharaj, lovingly known as Latu Maharaj in our order. He was one of the monastic disciples of Sri Ramakrishna. Now he also was from a poor, humble background with no formal education. As we will see that the life of Narada is a proof to the fact that for our spiritual progress, no learning is necessary the theology, the philosophy, the discussion on that, all those things is not necessary. Just by the grace of the divine or by the grace of the guru, the spiritual illumination can just unfold in one's life without going through all those abstruse learning. There's no need. Just by the grace, it can happen. Just in the life of Latu Maharaj, we find the same thing. Swami Vivekananda used to say that the greatest miracle of Ramakrishna is Latu. So he had no formal education. 
we find that ramakrishna himself who had no formal education still he had the knowledge of alphabets when he was trying once to teach latu the alphabets just the alphabets he couldn't succeed because of the peculiar way of pronunciation which is quite common with the uh, the hindi belt of india so he couldn't uh, teach him even the basic alphabets but that latu maharaj we find in his later life to be a highly spiritually illumined soul whoever is to come to him he never is to talk much but with small answers we used to find that he will clear the doubts and people were amazed that in such a small cryptic answer the problems of life can be solved so easily he will just just be to the point in his answers and it used to be something very very illuminating so this latu maharaj we find a very interesting incidents in his life as a young boy when he was in dakshineshwar he got so much attracted with the personality of ramakrishna if you read his life it's wonderful he was actually the servant of one of the devotees of ramakrishna his name was ramadatta so sometimes ramadatta to send something to ramakrishna asks latu to go the way the things and just deliver it to sri ramakrishna in the process of delivering all those groceries and other things to ramakrishna he came in touch with ramakrishna and he was so much attracted towards him that he started getting distracted in his household work though at the beginning uh, ramadatta never understood the cause of his distraction later he tried understood that it is his tremendous attraction for ramakrishna that is making him more and more distracted and we find ramadatta finding that ramakrishna needs a personal attendance he himself then proposed to ramakrishna that why not you keep latu is a wonderful way latu gets the chance to serve the master if from a poor illiterate for a poor family totally illiterate of the remote village of bihar he is here to serve ramakrishna and we find one day wonderful that this entire story we will uh, is of course we are not going to uh, enunciate today a particular incident one day latu maharaj this young boy latu was massaging sri ramakrishna's feet and sri ramakrishna casually asks latu and he used to call latu as neto leto leto do you know what god is doing now to that young small boy ramakrishna asks do you know what god is doing now latu in his peculiar that hindi and bengali mix language told hum kya jane ami ki jane what do i know that what that god is doing now how can i say that and then ramakrishna with a very his characteristic smile he told you know what god is doing now he is making a huge elephant enter through the eye of a needle and this latu never understood what ramakrishna is saying he heard that but he remembered those words much later in a much later when he's at his advanced age as a monk of the ramakrishna order when the disciples is to come to him he is to relate this incidents with tearful eyes and he is to say i never understood what he meant when he told these things now i understand 
that when I was massaging his feet for such a small receptacle like me, which is just like the eye of a needle, for such a small receptacle like me, he kindly, endearingly, without any reason, out of compassion, was entering, was allowing all the spiritual treasures to enter into my heart. I never knew, now I know, that what all treasures he has yeah, just as, as if uh, injected into me. And I feel my life has totally transformed. So he has injected all those bhavas, like elephant, that all those spiritual treasures, which are like a huge elephant, the ele- emotion, all spiritual emotions, elephant of spiritual emotion, that huge elephant of spiritual elephants entered through the eye of the needle, through my this such a small receptacle like me. He graced me. So this shows that just by the grace, a divine, a spiritually illumined soul can enkindle the heart of another person who is so-called, has no as such uh, academic background, no, doesn't know any philosophy. So that's why we found in the, this our, uh, the Narada Bhakti Sutra. It is, there's a sutra. This Mahata Sangastu Durlabha Agamya Amoghascha. That the holy company, Mahat Sangha, is not very easy to get. There are not holy people everywhere available. This is rare. It's a very rare occurrence to really get a holy person. And even when there is a holy person, they are so unassuming. Most of the time we miss. We don't understand that he's a holy person. Agamya, Durlava. First, it is very rare. And then because of their unassuming manner, sometimes we don't understand that what uh, this holy person really is, who this really holy person is, that how much spiritual illumination that person is. We never understand. But if somehow we come within this fold, within his fold, and that happens to the grace of the divine, if it happens, the result is something amogha. No one can alter your destiny. Once, somehow, unknowingly, you can just be in the presence of a holy person. And if he blesses you, he says, be blessed. Know it for certain, your destiny, the course of your destiny changes. Sri Swami Vivekananda used to say a very interesting thing, that in his last days, when the brahmacharis were just all visiting him, all used to be within his presence. So he used to say a very interesting thing. What's that? He asked the brahmacharis one day, that do you know that uh, who is a avatar, a divine incarnation? The brahmacharis, of course, they were silent. They never knew how to answer his question. And Swamiji himself answered, the avatar is the one who can change the writing of your forehead? It's, 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 a, it's a general notion that our destiny is written in our forehead. So he used to say that the one who can just change the writing on the forehead, his destiny can be changed. So that's the power of a spiritual person. We find in the life of Ramakrishna when Girish one day was repenting that there is somehow no change in my life. I'm trying my best. There is no change in my life. 
It seems that I somehow cannot get rid of the old habits, old ways of living. And Ramakrishna reprimanded him sharply by saying, that do you think an ordinary water snake, non-venomous water snake has bitten you? You have been bitten by a deadly cobra. Now you may go anywhere. Just sometimes where, you know, that when uh, 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 an insect stings us, that's the second time it may not sting us. What we do, we run away from it. And that single sting is not going to do us any harm. It's just a little sting. Uh, for some time there will be little pain, but I'm saved. I've saved myself from the second sting or for any real harm. So, but if a real venomous, a venomous snake like the cobra stings you only once, and just thinking that I shouldn't give it chance for the second time to sting me, sting me, let me run away and I will be saved. So Ramakrishna is saying that once the bit, this cobra has bitten you, now you may run anywhere. You may go to the top of the mountain. You may go deep into the ocean. Know it for certain, you have to die. There's no other way. That's what Ramakrishna is saying. And we find that again, that example in the life of Garish, the more he is advancing in age, people were amazed to see the transformed Girish Ghosh. Swami Vivekananda used to say a story which is not in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, a very interesting story, the story of a witch. When Swami Vivekananda was in America, he was in Camp Percy, he was just relaxing for a few days after a strenuous lecture, uh, this uh, schedule, he took was just relaxing. But after all, he's a prophet. He has to preach the small gathering who was around him. To them, he told a very interesting story, which Ramakrishna actually told him, which is not in the gospel. The interesting story is that there was a witch who is to reside deep in the forest by the side of a reservoir. From the remote village, people used to come to have a dip in that reservoir. And this witch, what she used to do, she will tie one of her hair unknowingly to the this ankle and this ankle of that person, to the feet of that person. And the hair of the witch had a very wonderful characteristic. It can be elongated. As you go on stretching, it will go on elongating. It won't tear off. So now this witch, what it used to do, if she was hungry, if someone, someone came for having a dip, she was hungry, she will immediately catch him and just swallow. That person is gone. But if she is not hungry, she is not going to leave her prey. Unknowingly, she will tie one of her hair on, her, on that person's ankle. And now that person is allowed, after the, after the dip in the reservoir, he goes back to his village, most probably at night he is resting. And now the witch is hungry. She will start pulling the hair, dragging the person and engulf and just devour him or her, whatever it may be. So again, this is the story which Ramakrishna told Naren. The idea is same, that maybe today, maybe tomorrow, but once the divine that you have got the blessing from a really illumined soul, know it for certain, it is going to have some definite result. Your destiny is going to be changed. You are bound to be spiritually illumined. And that's what we find in the life of Narada, as has been enunciated, described in the Srimad Bhagavatam. That we find the story starts with the previous millennium, previous uh, cycle of creation, not in this millennium, in the previous millennium. He was born 
as the son of a maid servant he has never seen his father he, this, his father was not known he was the son of a maid servant and this maid servant was was engaged in the service of the vedantins of the recluse the recluses in those days never used to stay in one place they were all wandering monks but for the rainy season for the four months they used to settle in one place and that's the time people used to get the chance to serve them and this met servant the mother of narada in the previous cycle previous kalpa the previous millennium she got the chance to serve those recluses those vedantins those uh, what do you say that the the knower of brahman brahman the knower of brahman they were the vedantins to whom she was serving and that's how as he was a small boy he used to accompany his mother narada as a small boy he was just a small boy of 5 years old age he used to accompany his mother and in the process came in touch with the monks and he also to help his mother out sometimes is to serve this holy person and now of course you have to have some substance in you to really get the benefit of the holy company so narada was having that substance as sri ramakrishna used to say that yes of course when the uh, the wind of malaya this is this it's been spoken of in our uh, this puranas when the malaya wind blows all the trees gets converted into sandalwood means if the means why why he was saying that when the bliss of the divine is flowing invariably whomever it touches they are going to be transformed but there are few trees that even the malaya touches it doesn't get transformed like the bamboo tree just an example or the plantain tree which have no inner substance they cannot be converted into the sandalwood tree the trees which have hollow like the the plantain tree the bamboo which which has no core which has no substance they cannot be converted into the sandalwood tree so here also we find that though the divine bliss is the factor which can change our life but to certain extent we are supposed to have substance and narada even as a young boy had that substance what's the substance to a great extent he was danta self control now we were say young boy what is the question of self control all the young boys are self control yes as per the sensitive pleasures are concerned they are yet to those all those tendencies are yet to bloom but as a young boy we find that naturally they are restless so his nature as a self controlled person finds expression that he was not restless he was not attached to too much of sports he used to be enjoying the tranquility the calmness he wanted he was with his mother serving the monks and that was his only engagement he never got distracted in the play or in the restlessness which is common to a young boy of that age so this is the little substance which is happening that he was not chapala that's what is indicated in the bhagavata he is not chapala he is not that too much obsessed with the games adhrita kriyanaka and another thing he was not this what you say that uh, too colloquial that is he was he wouldn't speak unless it is necessary alpabhashini 
He used to be very silent. So these are the qualities which has been enunciated that this young boy had. By nature silent, by nature soft-spoken, very few words he will speak unless it's not necessary, he won't speak much, and very equipoised. And this boy, what he did, one day by chance, when permitted by these holy souls, holy persons, who were just who had settled down for the four months, after food, some food which were the remnants, he, as a poor fellow, asked their permission to have the remnants of their food, the prasadam. So these all this, that's how he's getting associated with the divine. And this unknowingly is purifying his heart. And not only that, these are all something physical. What's mental? Now they always are in, engaged. These holy persons are always engaged in the holy discussion. They were discussing the life of the divine incarnations, the activities of Lord Krishna. So even just unknowingly, all those words will enter his ears. He was hearing and he was developing an interest for that. And the first thing that happened when the words entered, even before you develop the love for those words, even in our order, the senior monks always used to say us, you know, what's the uh, utility of studying the scripture? The first thing that happens, your awareness for the spiritual dimension of existence, that's become something prevailing in your mind and the fear of death vanishes. And that's being indicated in the life of Narada. The first thing that's what happened, that he understood that this gross body, even the mind, the subtle covering, they're just covering. They are bound to fall off today or tomorrow. But in essence, he's the spirit and his Lord. The Lord is in essence is also the spirit. And the association of our essence, the consci- our conscious principle with that divine spirit is eternal. It was, it is, it will be. Nothing can annihilate us. That's the first awareness that dawns in when you're listening to all those divine discourses. You become aware of the spiritual dimension of the existence. As has been spoken of even in the Bible, worship the spirit by the spirit. What we do when we start worshiping, God is just the means. World is the end. I just think myself as this physical entity. And as a physical entity in this life, I need so many things. So to get all those things, God is there to whom I pray and he will just deliver me all those things. There ends the purpose of God. God is just the means. This world is the end. I am a worldly being of this flesh and bones and my end is also this, all the things of the world. So that's not the real worship. In the Bible, when it's being mentioned that worship the spirit by the spirit, it means in essence, I am that spirit, that conscious principle. God is the one. If I am just a spark, he is the main fire. I may be a spark, but in essence, we both are fire. And our relationship is an eternal relationship between these two. It was, it is, it will be. That's the first awareness that dawns in Narada. And not only that, with that awareness, gradually the intensity of love, the devotion starts increasing. And as a result, what happens? Other ignorance and the passions, everything starts falling off from his life. 
As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, the more you go towards the East, the West falls behind, automatically falls behind. In this life, we cannot forcefully renounce anything. Just the way I cannot push the West. Can I push the West away? No. If I have to get rid of the West, I have to go towards the East. The West automatically falls behind. So the more you develop love for the divine, the more the all other, the so-called, the passions, the, you know, there's all the passions which binds us, that starts falling off. So that's being indicated in the Bhagavata. The first, the awareness of the spiritual dimension of existence. Next, the love for the divine. This ish, the nishta, ishta nishta. There's the, the more and more love for your ishta and vairagya for the world. Renunciation automatically follows. So this has been enunciated. And after four months, when they left, when they were now living again as a wandering one, these monks will just start wandering. So now to grace this small boy, he was hearing these discourses and everything, but now they thought of initiating him in the, the spiritual way of living. So why they were thought of initiating? Because they already found that his that little love for the divine has already started increasing in these four months. And that is the again the benefit of holy company, as has been mentioned in Narada Bhakti Sutta. Very nicely it has been mentioned. Tarangaita apime sangat samudrayante. At first, your devotion may be just like a small ripple, taranga. Tarangaita, tarangaita api. Though at the beginning it is just like a taranga, just like a small ripple. Sangat, because of this association with this holy person, samudrayant, it becomes like ocean. Your devotion becomes overwhelming. And these, all the recluses, they found this devotion has become like ocean in the small boy. So they initiated. Initiated what? Initiated it's mantra and murti. This is a very interesting. In the Bhagavatam, we find this sloka. We are not going to the sloka, just the specific words we are mentioning. That in with mantra and with murti. That's the form of the divine is the murti and with the mantra. But in the same mantra, it is mentioned that why they initiated with mantra and murti? So that he can realize the essence of the, that the divine, which is formless. With form, with words, you go to the realm which is beyond form, which is beyond word. So it may appear to be something confusing that with word, with form, how can I go to the realm which is without word, beyond word, uh, word beyond form? So here lies the psychology of spiritual practice that to focus our mind is the biggest challenge in spiritual life. So when we speak of a murti, it is just a way. It is not the ultimate goal. Ultimate goal, we will we all invariably are bound to realize the formless aspect of the divine. It has to go beyond the murti. Then why this murti is prescribed? Why this form is prescribed? It speaks of the psychology. That you just think that when I am thinking, each and every thought has two components. One is the language. When I'm thinking internally, what I'm doing, I'm constantly speaking. Though I'm not speaking verbally, in my mind, the speaking goes on. It's words. And not only that, I am visualizing. 
Suppose I'm thinking of Mr. Such and Such. The moment that name comes to my mind, immediately the form I visualize in my mind, that Mr. A or Mr. B, the name and the form with each and every thought has these two components. Now, when I'm trying to keep my mind fixed in one thought, generally we do with particular word, particular mantra, which e or particular prayer, which is in all religion. That's common, the words are there, but no one can deny that our mind is a monkey mind. Sometimes, sometimes most of the time you will find, though mechanically most probably I am just repeating something, some prayers in my mind, my mind is, continu is continues to visualize so many things. It's just visualizing. Though I am murmuring something, my mind is, why? Because just with a few syllables, I have restricted the, this, what you say, the language component of my thought. But my visualization, that visualizing visualization component, the component that visualizes, these two components, visualization and language, that is not taken care of. So that's why this is very important in this bhakti tradition, murti and mantra. Now, this uh, the, your one thought becomes something more effective. When you are visualizing a particular form and repeating the name, the mind doesn't get chance to just jump from one visualization to another. So that's why with mantra and murti, but where it will lead to? When you can really make it concentrated with tremendous love, with focus. At last, as we say again and again, when the mind gets extremely focused, in the object of meditation, other things starts falling off. At last, it that their sense of ego, which is the last thing to fall off, that I am the psychophysical existence, that also is taken away by your object of meditation. The moment the ego falls off, you as if have transcended the mind. The mind is like a prism, which breaks the white light. The white light is here is an example. The conscious principle is like white light, which falls on the prism to break into the spectrum of this world of name and form. The moment the ego breaks off, the mind has fallen. The spectrum merges with the white light. So with the form, you go beyond the form. So it's not that this is the only process. Yes, there are many other processes of meditation, but many say, that meditating on the form is unscientific. Just to say there's a science behind it, we have given so much stress to this mantra, the 38th uh, sloka of the fifth chapter of the first part of Bhagavatam, where how nicely it has been mentioned that Narada was initiated with a mantra and with a murti so that he can go beyond this, uh, this murti, amurtikam. Iti murtim abhidhanena mantra murtim amurtikam yajate yagya purushan sa samyak darshana puman. Ramakrishna used to give a wonderful allegory that you know what these divine forms are like. They are like a hole in the world of in the wall of ego, in the wall of ignorance. Suppose there is a wall and I am chiseling that wall in a particular form. This chiseling is like the imagination, like the visualization. When the chiseling is complete and you peep through that hole, what you see 
see that beyond that wall is infinite expanse. So the one who has chiseled in the form of Krishna, they say Krishna is infinite. That's the framework through which he's looking at the same infinite. One who has chiseled it in the form of Rama, they say the Rama is infinite. So it is the chiseling to make a particular framework through which you relate to the same infinite existence, spiritual existence, dimension. So that's why Ramakrishna is to say each and every divine form is a hole in the wall of ignorance or in the wall of ego. So that's what is being indicated in this mantra. So now he has been given with a mantra and they have left. Now for Narada, as a young boy, the only this bondage is the mother. Mother's love. That this mother for whom the only treasure is his child. With love, she was just protecting this child. So there's only bondage because the, we found that Narada has developed tremendous love for God. Only this little tie with the mother, nothing else is there. That was remaining. And that tie fell off. How? One day that, that when uh, she went out to milk the, the, a cow, she was bitten by a deadly snake. And that was the cause of her death. So now, in a sense, this Narada is orphan. But yes, if he had not developed the love for God, his condition is really something pitiable, that what is such a small boy is going to do? But he has already developed a tremendous love for the divine. And this actually was, has proven to be a blessing. The last bondage has fallen off. Now, at the, as a young boy, he started wandering. He went through the cities, villages, taking the name of the Lord. It's a wonderful practice. And the story of a pilgrim, even in the biblical tradition, there's the Russian monk, it's a wonderful book if you study. This in all traditions it is there. There are so many pilgrims that just practice this, just walking, going through the cities, towns, villages, internally constantly taking the name of the Lord. Or maybe they may have a rosary, they with the rosary, they're just taking the name of the Lord and just traveling and just begging for the food. That used to be the practice. And that's why the bhiksha was something which was this a part of the food was always kept. That was a wonderful tradition. Each and every household after cooking used to keep a part of the food as bhiksha. Anytime anyone may come. Atithi. Atithi, the word Atithi itself is wonderful. Atithi means the one whose time, whose arrival has no time, no Tithi. Anytime he may come, Atithi is Atithi. Anytime, these all wandering monks were like Atithis, guests. Some food has always to be kept for them. So there was no as such, uh, that what is a question of sustenance. The food was available moving around villages, towns, and he was going through the valleys, the, this, all the, even sometimes the forests. And after such a huge, after a long travel, he was a bit tired. Now he felt of just settling in one place. These traditions are wonderful. Ramakrishna used to say there are two types of sadhakas, bahudaka, kutichaka. So Narada also was bahudaka. Bahudaka means bahu udaka. Udaka means water. 
the one who goes on drinking water of different places bahu udaka means one who is wandering is bahu udaka as he is wandering from place to place naturally he has to or she has to drink the water of various places so such a person is bahu udaka bahu udaka kuti chakka at last when this after this this uh, roaming the mind has now settled down he or she feels even moving around is a distraction gets tired physically but mentally he gets equipoised and now things are settling down and that happened to narada he was tired was exhausted but mind was equipoised he took a deep in the in the river in some village river and sat under the banyan tree here the story somehow resembles with the life of buddha that where that he settled that after he was famished he got the a, what is a bowl of paisam took a shower and he settled in the shade of a banyan tree to enter into that meditation here also we find narada being tired took some shower and settled under the banyan shade of a banyan tree and now he went into that deep meditation the name which he was taking with the same name he is now entered into the deep meditation visualizing the lord taking the name and in the bhagavatam it's mentioned that it's in the in a particular blessed moment in a flash he had the visualization of the divine and he was overwhelmed he was it was realization as if the lord is there in his just in his presence as shankaracharya says the realization is something which no more uh, keeps you in the world of doctrines and dogmas you are as if in presence of the truth it is as palpable as a fruit in your hand when you have a fruit in your hand you are touching it you are seeing it the lord becomes something as palpable this karatala amulakavat that's the term which shankaracharya uses so for a flash it happened but in bhagavatam very interesting thing is mentioned just in a flash it came it went off and he was extremely in agony again and again he was desiring to have that vision it never happened just it came it went there are so many tagore songs explaining that that i was actually not thinking of when the divine bliss came and suddenly it i see it has left it, it, it has it has gone only the footmarks i can see it has gone it's no more there it came just in a flash and it went off and he was in terrible agony so there this is a wonderful thing which happens with any uh, one who is advancing in spiritual journey that once we have some sort of realization you will find it is almost impossible to hold on to it it goes off for all you may you may think that once i have that realization i am going to continue to have it it never happens there is a reason behind it actually all our efforts is not the thing which takes us to the realization it's never such all our efforts is just to bring that conviction that with effort you cannot get the one who is beyond all the cause and effect if by my effort i get something then it shows that there is a cause that sadhana is a cause and lord is the effect as if the lord becomes the slave of my sadhana is beyond all cause and effect 
It is only by his grace, realization is possible, not by my effort. Then what's the role of the effort? It's in the words of Ramakrishna to tire your wings, to that it is just to get tired. Your wings should get tired. As he used to stay a wonderful story. A bird was sitting on the mast of a ship and the ship was in the deep waters, in the deep waters of the ocean, in the deep ocean. Now the bird thought of going to the shore, flying to the shore. It flew to the east, couldn't find any shore, came back, sat on the mast for some time, flew in the west, flew in the north, in the south, nowhere it found any land. At last it was tired. It came and just sat on the mast with the idea, let the ship take me wherever it takes. So all our effort is just to get tired. And then that feeling comes, nothing is possible with my effort. And then a let go ensues, resignation, pure resignation comes. That we speak of resignation, but it is just a lip service. It's never true. When I say I have resigned myself to the God, it's just some words I'm saying, which I haven't realized what I'm saying. I don't mean it. A real let go, resignation comes only after sadhana. When you have tried your best and couldn't really reach any sort of goal, then that let go ensues. And the moment the let go ensues, immediately the grace acts on it. It is always acting. But I, as I'm holding on to something, that grace cannot just take me beyond this world of this, what's his name and form. To give an example, suppose you have climbed up a tree and you're holding onto a branch. Now to fall, no effort is required. You just leave the hold, the gravitation will pull you down. In the name of spirituality, what we do, suppose I'm holding onto the branch of a tree and there are a lot of ants or other insects which is biting me. So what I do, that as I find it is unpleasurable, I release the hold of this branch and hold on to another branch, which I name it as God. But I'm holding on to the branch. I say it's God and I'm holding. All our so-called meditation, everything is trying to hold on to something so that I can release this hold. But actual uh, realization is in falling. I have to allow the gravitation to act on me and let go. So when through all the spiritual practices, you're holding onto something else that also you find is of no avail. Then that real let go ensues. You leave, you leave your hands free. Just the way the gravitation pulls you down, the grace pulls you up. That's why in the Bhagavad Gita, in the 15th chapter, it, has the, it starts with the sloka, Urdhva Mula Avakshaka. The roots are above, means as, as per the spiritual, our spiritual dimension is concerned, this tree of sansara has emanated from that spiritual essence, which is in the top. That's the Urdhva Mula, Avakshaka, the branches are down. We are holding onto the branches. The grace is always working upwards. That's the way the gravitation works downwards. The grace is always working upwards, it's always there. As we are holding onto the branches of tree, Sometimes we leave it to hold onto another branch, which we name as God and all these spiritual practices are holding onto that. At last we get tired and leave the hold and then the grace acts on us. We are uplifted. In a flash, the vision comes. But you know the paradox? The moment the vision comes, 
the expectation comes back. Again, I hold, want to hold on to that realization. And again, it is gone. Because again, you are holding. That realization has brought that, brought that expectation. And again, I'm holding. And this goes on for ages together. That's a very interesting thing. And that's why it comes in a flash and it goes. goes. That's why in the scriptures, so how nicely it has been described. There are two types of nyaya which has been spoken of. One is marjara kishora nyaya and another is the markata kishora nyaya. What it speaks of? Marjara. Marjara means cat. Kishora means young one. Means the kitten. The kitten and markata kishora. Markata means monkey. Kishora means young. A baby monkey and a kitten. What's the difference? The baby monkey holds onto its mother. If somehow it loses the hold, it will fall. It will be badly injured. But the kitten, for the kitten, it's the mother who holds onto. He will be just holding onto the small kitten. The mother cat will be just with a bite, hold onto the neck of the baby. Wherever it wants to take the baby, just with that, with that mother will be holding and taking the baby. So there, there is no chance of fall as the mother is holding. But if I am holding to the mother, out of carelessness, I may lose the hold and I may fall. So this too means, and the spiritual life starts with Markata, with that, the monkey holding onto the mother. It starts with that, but it has to end with that Marjara if we really have to just transcend to that spiritual realization. And that's what happened with Narada. He went to that and again, it comes back. It's not that he is again merged in Sansara. But that little expectation to have that vision again and again is an expectation. That's why in Bhagavad Gita, we find in one place, Shankaracharya is saying that when uh, it has been spoken of Nishkama Karma, there he says a very interesting thing. Ishwara api me tushyatu iti sangam tyaktva. That let, met, uh, let the Lord be pleased with me and just grace me with the divine vision. Even this attachment you have to leave off. It's a very, very tricky game. It is without thinking of the divine, how can I just concentrate? Yes, it will take me. A time will come when that let go has to come to take me to that realization. And all spiritual aspirants at that time will have a tremendous urge to have it. And it is gone. Again, that let go has to ensue. And that's what happens with Narada. He was extremely in agony. And then he hears the divine voice, wonderful voice. What? That however you may try, you are not going to get that vision again. You spend your life taking my name. But one thing is very interesting. That this, you know, even if you read the last sutra of Narada Bhakti Sutra, where 11 expressions, 11 signs of devotion has been spoken of. It starts with the preparatory bhakti, where I am taking the name of the Lord, meditating on his form, taking his name. With all this, it starts. Gradually, I am developing a relationship with the Lord. But the last thing they say, speak is parama viraha. Tremendous, that longing for the Lord because of the separation. It, it is the something which is a very high state in spiritual life. If you read the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you will find it's finding expression there. That's the viraha. How it helps, it makes you forget. That's the way in ordinary love. 
the separation makes me forget everything i am intensely thinking of my beloved it that it outwardly it is extremely painful but as per my psychology is concerned my mind is tremendously fixed to the lord and everything has fallen off so it's a very very high state and that's the state which has been spoken of uh, in the life of narada that one he got the vision that tremendous agony that parama vivaha viraha made him forget about everything else he was taking the name of the lord and by taking the name of the lord at last he left his body so that he can he need not have to take birth again he was in the transcendental plane so this again is the idea of the mukti in the bhakti shastra just see that when i even in our ordinary life you will find that when i am very much passionate about something suppose i i have learned some instrumental music when i go on playing it so happens that as i have developed the skills i get so absorbed for hours i can spend i forget about my food i forget about my thirst i forget tiredness because go on playing so what has happened but my focus has been taken away by my object of interest and other things starts falling off what it speaks of the more you can enter into a flow into by your devotion to something sublime the more the wants of the body falls off what brings us back back again to this material plane of existence it is our urge for food it is our hunger it is our thirst it is our need to procreate these biological needs brings us down when your contemplation of the divine has has become a flow you can remain in that plane this bodily things has fallen off so there is nothing to pull you down so that has what has happened to narada he got videha mukti the sense of body has fallen off there is no need for the body he is in the mental world in the contemplation that has been spoken of as the eternal vrindavan eternal goloka where or the idea of all the heavens where you still exist as an identity as an individual but you are in intense contemplation of the divine and that's how the entire millennium passes the entire creation comes to an end that kalpa is over everything dissolves but you know that ramakrishna is to give wonderful example that at the end of the creation the mother nature what it does is very simple example that the in the village the ladies the house wife has some peculiar habit it's a, in the olden days she will in a small bag keep the seeds of all the plants she has sown in the kitchen garden so when the, the plant dies again she can sow those seeds and again the plants will come so he has a small bag in which you will find all sorts of seeds are there she has kept so ramakrishna is saying that what the mother nature when the when this creation is over those who are extremely attached to the world those seeds are still as seeds being collected by the nature they are there again in the next creation they will sprout from that again their life will come those who have been totally detached those seeds have become like burnt seed they are never going to come back but what about persons like narada who are intensely devoted to the lord they are also retaining the seed 
So they do come back. Sri Ramakrishna is giving a wonderful example that if you are a salt doll, of course, the moment you get down in the ocean, you will dissolve. That's like the realized soul in the Advaitic, in the uh, so-called in the idea of the Vedanta, the non-dualistic idea. But the Bhakta doesn't want to get dissolved. Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely that Bhakti is like, is very cold. The coolness of Bhakti, what it does, it allows one to take the form of an iceberg. Though the iceberg is in the ocean, but it doesn't melt in the ocean. It remains with its particular form in the ocean floating. So these Naradas are like the iceberg. They remain even at the end of the, uh, this Kalpa with their this tremendous divine uh, love for the divine. That's the seed form to sprout again, again in the next Kalpa, in the next millennium. But in the next millennium, they are the Nitya Siddhas. They come out as if from the mind. They, they, they never come down to the physical plane. They are called the Manasaputra of the Brahma. The cosmic mind, from the cosmic mind, they are the evolutes as the uh, cosmic mind. They never come down to the material plane, but they are there as this in the subtle sarira, as the Manasaputra. Very interesting. The Dashi Putra of the previous millennium, the son of a servant of the previous millennium, becomes the son of Brahma in the next millennium. He is as a Brahma, as a, a Brahma. That's why it's mentioned that Narada is Brahma Putra. Brahma Putra. So the, he is the just uh, li- li- living in that subtle plane, moving around. They are the Nitya Siddhas. In the previous cycle, he was Sadhana Siddha. He became perfected in spiritual life through practice, through Sadhana. He was graced. First, he was the Skripa, and then the Sadhana continued. And he was a Siddha, he was Sadhan Siddha, he was a Kripa Siddha. But in this Kalpa, he's in the words of Ramakrishna, in the as has been enunciated in the Bhagavatam also, he's a Nitya Siddha. He is ever perfect, not to be deluded anymore. He is just there to help the all, not physically, even when you have little devotion, know it for certain, is all those spiritually illumined soul in the subtle plane the subtle vibration plane to which we get tuned, they help us to pull us up in spiritual life uh, to a great extent. So they are there to help us out as all those subtle beings in this present cycle. So Narada is still there. He's Amar, he's immortal. He's in subtle body. He's going on helping all the spiritual uh, aspirants in all possible ways, so that they can also reach that state of illumination. So that's the wonderful story of Narada. And through this story, you will find that so many characteristics of bhakti, of devotion, that what are the characteristics of devotion, how devotion can help us to get illumined, how it can enable us not to become sugar, but to taste the sugar. The day never wants to become sugar, a devotee not to want to merge with the absolute reality. They want to retain that separateness so that it can enjoy the test of sugar. That also is a spiritual path, though it is a bit different from that getting identified with the absolute reality. But as per the goal, our ultimate goal is not 
all those subtle differences which we find in the various paths. Our ultimate goal is Atyantika Dukkha Nivritti Parama Sukha Prapti. That whether we want to merge with the Absolute or want to taste the bliss of the Divine, whatever it may be, none of us want suffering. Atyantika Dukkha Nivritti. Everyone wants happiness. Parama Sukha Prapti. There's a small, very nice story that in a house all were having the doctorate degree, PhD. So there, there was a family gathering. So somewhere uh, having the PhD degree in uh, medicine, some was having PhD in some science subject, some in literature subject. So the small child who was just moving around uh, in that family gathering. So all of them asked, see, here all are doctorates. In what you want to be a doctorate? The child was quite intelligent. He wanted, I want to be a doctorate in happiness. That's the thing in which we really lack with all the doctorate degrees, we all lack in that happiness. So to be the doctorate in happiness, in whatever it may be, whether by testing the sugar or by becoming the sugar, both way we can annihilate the suffering forever and we can enjoy the eternal bliss. So that's the bhakti is a way which has been and nicely is enunciated with the life of Narada, starting from a boy with this humble background, no education, ending up to a spiritually illumined soul, engaged in helping out all, all the lost souls who are in search of the, 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 eternal, the, the, the eternal existence, who are in search of the eternal existence, to be one with the one who is from whom this entire universe has been projected to again get united with him. We are all in search of that. And Narada is there. All this, in all the scriptures, you will find the idea of the angels, the, those are helping out. This Narada is also like an angel helping out the lost souls so that they can be reunited with the spiritual dimension of existence. So with this, we stop the discussion for the time being on the life of Narada. Uh, for the next class, uh, we will start uh, our study on the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. So every month for the first uh, three uh, Tuesdays, we will have uh, a class on the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. And on the last week, we will take up some topic from the Bhagavatam. And that this both will go on simultaneously. Thank you all. Namaskars.